0: Enjoy
1: Michelle Chen. Michelle is a contributing writer to The Nation, the Nation magazine that is, and she's also a contributing editor at In These Times and associate editor at Culture Strike. She's also a co producer of Asia Pacific Forum on Pacifica's WBAI and Descent Magazine's belabored podcast and studies histories at the University History excuse me at the City University of New York Graduate Center. Wow. I thought I did a lot of stuff. Michelle, good afternoon and welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, how are you? Good, thank you. Um, talking about a piece entitled, Is Welfare Reform Causing Earlier Deaths? Uh, do, you know, the opening remark in this piece is, 20 years ago, welfare as we knew it died. Let's talk about welfare as we knew it a couple of decades ago versus welfare today in 2015.
2: Yeah, well, to understand the way the program works before, you kind of have to understand the political climate that surrounded welfare reform. Um This is during the Clinton era, and there is this massive kind of bipartisan consensus in Washington that welfare reform was creating a culture of poverty, that it was breeding dependency of the poor on the system, that, uh, you know, You know, uh, undeserving poor people were sort of living off of benefits and uh, not getting jobs. You know, it was – the idea was that we were – the welfare system was too good to these people, so we need to show them some tough love and um, limit welfare. Um, So they did that, and pretty – um, pretty drastically they, they uh cut the program, um, limited funding in all sorts of ways, and uh, very importantly they imposed time limits on uh benefits and they um imposed all sorts of restrictions and penalties for people who fail to comply with the different bureaucratic requirements. Like, you know, you could see your benefits um, get docked because you failed to show up for meetings with your caseworker or something like that. So all sorts of punitive measures meant to sort of um, pressure uh, the poor into kind of reforming themselves. And uh, so it's been about 20 years since, uh, you know, that system was implemented, and this new public health study looked at what the long-term impacts have been, uh, not just for people economically, but for families and their health and general welfare and their, um, and their lifespan. Oh,
1: when we look at this uh, welfare program and, and we look at the uh, reformation of welfare, Some might say, well, you know, based on what you said, because, you know, a couple of decades ago we had a different political climate, we had a different program and certainly a different population, Uh, maybe Reformation is needed, but perhaps not the type of Reformation that's been proposed?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, though, you still see this rhetoric prevailing, right? Um, Especially among conservatives in Congress, there's this sense that, you know, Uh, the people living off of food stamps are just sponging off the system, that they're lazy, you know, that they don't deserve what they have, or that they're somehow abusing the system, like they're gaming the welfare system, or that they're deliberately staying on welfare in order to avoid working. Um, But, uh, you know, interestingly, I think the the Great Recession kind of changed things um, because many people who had previously thought of themselves as self-sufficient and middle class, you know, suddenly found themselves actually applying for unemployment, getting food stamps, and tapping into the welfare system. So, I mean, those uh, limited benefits they might have supported, you know, reforming 20 years ago uh, suddenly looked a lot different, you know, uh, in the middle of the Great Recession and in this uh, ongoing bout of long-term unemployment that we're seeing many people suffer from now.
1: When we look at uh, the Bipartisan Personal Responsibility and Work Opportunity Act, um, that was under the Clinton administration that you spoke of. And this is when I think there was an agenda of what a lot of people refer to as right wing or conservative thinking, which is personal responsibility. Now, one of the things I have to say is that when former governor of Wisconsin Tommy Thompson and former President Clinton, uh, you know, one a Republican and one a Democrat, uh, talked about work uh, fair. Um, it, it, was that pushing people within the system out who badly needed it? I mean, don't we need to admit that this is a system that has, is racked with uh, fraud and abuse? And uh, for some, it's generational, that there the are welfare recipients generation to generation.
2: hmm yeah. Uh, and, um, I mean, the thing is, though, poverty often is chronic, um, and it's not because people are deliberately passing poverty down to their kids or that they think it's a great lifestyle. Um Many times, people face enormous social barriers. And uh, what many experts today say and what this public health study kind of indicates is that, um, you know, people are not staying on benefits because they simply choose to. It's because they often have to. Um, You know, the idea behind welfare reform is that if you just shoved a bunch of people off the welfare rolls, suddenly they'd, you know, magically become self-sufficient or they'd realize that they finally had to get to work. But, I mean, as we've seen over the past you know, five, six, seven years, it's, you know, once you're unemployed, it's often really hard to get back into the job market, especially when there's a weak economy. And um, for many of these people, you um, who are stuck jobless after welfare reform, um, they were facing enormous barriers, whether it was, you know, they might have had a disability or they might have had, um, you know, uh, children to take care of or children with health problems. They might have had health problems themselves. Um, or simply they might have lived in a heavily segregated neighborhood with, you know, a very uh, low job prospects. And, and it's really hard to be self division even when you are working. And it's important to remember that, you know, all these years, many, many people on welfare have been working, right? And yet they still can't get by. So obviously a job is not enough for a lot of people. And the study showed that over the long term, um, you know, the people who were not lucky enough to, to get in the job market, um, you know, and they lost benefits for whatever reason, um, they, they had a very, very difficult time. And it left lasting scars not only on their economic well-being, but, you know, we're seeing them actually maybe losing a little bit of their life. Fan. Well, I don't
1: want that. I, I'm, a, I'm a liberal and I don't want that. But, but I also want more education, more job opportunity, uh, perhaps uh, not just, you know, education, but, you know, teaching a craft or a skill that can be used. You know, you rightly have talked about not just poverty. There are people out there. Um, that are on welfare, and we all know they're working a job or two, but they're doing it under the table in order to keep the benefits because they need those two or three paychecks combined to be able to feed uh, their family. A lot of single women do this um, who have children but no uh, father or second income uh, in the home. Um, The old welfare system, you say, is ended at a new price, and the research that shows the cost of reform, that there are people that are away from government support and a lifeline for them, but nothing to catch them as they fall um, from this program. You know, I don't want that, but where is the happy medium? Do you know what I mean? Because welfare was originally designed to be a helping hand up. Whoopi Goldberg was on welfare. She talks about when she was a single mother, uh, she had her daughter, she was on welfare. It was something temporary, you know, almost like I'm putting my hand under your feet to help you, you know, get up uh, to that next level. And, you know, for, for some, welfare is their job or has become a, a way of, of life, or for some, they feel it's the only alternative because they don't have those work skills, because they don't have uh, childcare, because they don't have education, or, or D, all of the above. So how do we reform the system and and not leave these people with nothing there to catch them that are at a different end of the spectrum as recipients of this program?
2: Right, well I think it kind of lies in, you know, when we're talking about a happy medium. What are the two extremes that we're trying to navigate between here? I mean, it's not a simple matter of do we punish them or do we reward them? I mean, these people aren't, you know, lab rats, right? They're people who are capable of making decisions, making really important life decisions, and they do so every day when they choose what to sacrifice in order to feed their kids, right? So, um, you know, these are people who would genuinely like to be in a better place. And if you trusted people and if you gave them, if you empower them, you know, in their lives and in their communities, to actually, you know, do things that that do create the conditions for self sufficiency. I think that's where you start. And you know, I, I, I do understand the argument. You know, uh, welfare was designed to be temporary, right? It wasn't designed to be kind of like a a lifetime thing. But the thing is, we have levels of hardship in this country that require lifetime support. And it's up to the government, you know, to the extent that the government has any role in making the lives of poor people better. It's up to the government to create the conditions that allow people to realize that they they can become self-sufficient or that you know, if they go for a job training program, that it's going to result in a job at the end, right? Or that um, if they take out student loans, that they're going to be able to pay them back. Or that you know, if they uh, send their kids, you know, if they if they move somewhere to get find a new job, that there'll be something there for them. So, um, you know, right now you have a system that punishes. Uh, more than it gives people channels
1: of support yeah but what about i'm um, sorry and- sorry to use the biblical you know adage uh, but you know what what about teaching to fish rather than just giving a fish uh, and i say that because i certainly don't want people uh, to be pushed toward an earlier death but i think it's important to have incentives and to incentivize work um and, uh, you know, like the AFDC program, Aid to Families with Dependent Children, uh, you know, aimed uh, to do, combining work, combining uh, tra- training programs. I'm not talking about penalties necessarily, but we, again, do, aren't we enablers if we don't teach somebody to fish and have sort of like a goal or an end date, A? And, B, I have to tell you, as a woman, as a feminist, who is very, very much pro-education on sex and pro-birth control, if you have one kid and you go on welfare and then you have four, I, I have a problem with that. I have a problem with that not just as a taxpayer, but it, it, it's not good for the individual. And many times they're just procreating uh, individuals to remain on the welfare rolls. Now, I'm not saying people that are, you know, using the system temporarily. I'm talking about people whose mothers and grandmothers and fathers and grandfathers were also on this program and that they that this has almost become like, you know, a systemic generational way of life.
2: Right, except when I I understand that 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 image of people exists, and that you know that that is a, a trope that's constantly circulated when uh, seeking ways to kind of undermine the welfare system. But by and large, I mean if you look at the actual statistics of who is on welfare and the reasons for them being on welfare, it's really a. a, a, a a really um, kind of oversimplification. to just say that people are deliberately staying on welfare um, and and you know having lots of kids in order to maintain their benefits. It is true that if you are a mother on welfare, it is extremely difficult to get off of welfare, right? Um, but it's not because the system is so generous that like you think it's life is a breeze. It's because right?
1: they have um, no uh, they have no no other option, right? Let's take a break, and- Mich- Michelle. We're gonna take a break. We'll be right back with you and let you finish up your comment there and. Uh, want to talk about the happy medium because I do agree with Michelle in the sense that one size doesn't fit all here. One size doesn't fit all as to the recipients or as to the solution. There are people that use welfare temporarily and go off and can find a job. That's not the case for everybody, and obviously not everybody has the same education or skill level. We're talking with Michelle Chen, a contributing writer to The Nation. Michelle, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Uh, uh, please uh, finish what you were saying before the break.
2: Oh, uh, what you were saying about, you know, teaching someone to fish and wanting to foster self-sufficiency, I think uh, most uh, poor people would actually agree with you. Um, You know, if you look around in uh, these communities, um, what they see is a distinct lack of investment and a lack of opportunity in what their real potential actually is. And so I think, you know, before we um, sort of roll up stereotypes of, of people who, you know, love being on welfare benefits and want to stay in them for life. I mean, I think uh, we need to really see um, where on the social landscape these people are. And if the Great Recession taught us any lesson, it's that people who never imagined, right, that they would be one of those people on welfare um, are applying for benefits. And the thing is, I mean, one thing that, that does not help you become self-sufficient is when the system that you're supposed to be depending on uh, in order to survive is constantly... Um, uh eliminating your dignity. Right? And and so I mean I think what you see um with the population that was studied here um by Peter Munig at the uh, at Columbia uh university was that um many of the people who stayed on welfare and could not get back into the job force were often people who are suffering from health problems or people who are suffering from disability and there should absolutely be interventions there that uh you know give them job training or let them do whatever it is that they want to do with their lives and yet those programs are being cut at the same time you're cutting their welfare benefits. And so when you think about, you know, who is empowered to change their lives here, these people often don't have the resources that they need to change their lives the way that they want to. And the government, meanwhile, which has a lot of power to do a lot for people, right, um, end up being beholden to uh, interests that are often very anti-poor, and, and not just anti-poor, but anti-working.
1: Let's take uh, some calls, 8886 Leslie's the number. We go to Laura in New Mexico, line four. Laura, question or comment?
3: Leslie, um, thank you for taking my call. I have a, a comment because this is something I've thought about a lot. And I think what we have is a complex systemic problem, and we have to address resources using what we know now. There's an adage that give me a child until he's five and you can have him back for the rest of his life. And I think we have to look at that. We know now children start learning before they're five, and we know that the brain doesn't finish learning until they're 20. So why is our education system still wired in 6 to 18 in a grad- agricultural setting where they have the symbol off? I think we need to revamp our education system to go from age 2 to age 20, and I think we need to be in the first section they need a children's school that would go from like eight to nine years old and you would age from this area to from school to school instead of passing tests the, the second one would be a twin school that would go from 10 to 15 and the final one would be one that went to 15 to 20. um and as you can see this mirrors the segments of life and that's why you would age but within these schools you would work in peer-related groups so you may have a, a three-year-old that's working with six years old in in the reading program and working with two years old in math. Um, and I think we need to revamp our educational system and revamp our society to think this way. Okay, okay. I would that. like
1: Michelle to uh, respond. I would like very quickly, Michelle. You got sixty seconds.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting idea, and I think there are people thinking about ways that education can support. Um, you know, whole families, and I think you're uh, definitely um, in line with a lot of policymakers, more progressive policymakers, and and um, you know thinkers on this who are saying we need to do things like universal pre-K, right? We need to foster community college, and those are things that sort of add on both ends to the traditional K through 12 system. Um, and yes, yeah, education absolutely necessary investments for everyone, not just for the uh, super poor. Okay, hey, um, thank and-
1: you, thank you, Michelle. That was 60 seconds. Sorry, uh, Michelle Chen. contributing writer to The Nation magazine. Follow her on Twitter at Michelle Chen, M-E-E-S-H-E-L-L-C-H-E-N. Check out The Nation. Follow them at The Nation and their website, thenation.com forward slash authors forward slash Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E hyphen Chen, C-H-E-N to read her great pieces.